0: So what's the most important meal of the day? You know, it's coffee. No matter what time of day it is, some of you just have to have your coffee. Now, we were worried when when we put the coffee over uh, at the Edwards building. Some people were worried that the coffee addicts would not find it. But you know what they say. If you brew it, they will come. You found it, fine. You found it, fine. Uh, so, uh, speaking of addictions, <laughs> what about adrenaline? you addicted to adrenaline? Wayne Cordero has written a book recently about leading on empty. I'm hearing, I'm hearing that it's that time of year. T.S. Eliot said that April is the cruelest month. I don't think he had school children in May. (laughs) I'm hearing people say they're overwhelmed. What recharges you? What fills you? What refills you? Wayne Cordero wrote this book about about, um, leading on empty. And he, he, uh, he documents how he ran out of gas. And he had to take a long, long break. And part of it was, was phys- physiological. He had lost his serotonin reserves, which is that hormone that, 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 that's kind of a happy hormone. It just gives you a sense of confidence and, and progress and peace. And so he was running on adrenaline. And so you can, your, your system can, can kick off of, of serotonin and make up for it with adrenaline. I woke up the other morning, I was thinking of all the things I had to do and that I hadn't done, and I I could feel my heart start to, you know, I I felt a little surge of adrenaline. I thought, see, that's that's not good. What fills you? What refills you? Luther said, I have so much to do today. Work, work, work. I have so much to do. I need to pass the first three hours in prayer. (laughs) What? Can you even relate to that? Does that even make any sense? The psalmist, one of the most famous psalms, he says, you, know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What fills your cup? What refills your cup? Over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about five different cups that need to be filled and filled and filled again and how you find the bandwidth in your life, and how you find the source of that filling, that refilling. Today we're going to be talking about what I'm calling the companion cup, the companion cup. Now, maybe, maybe a, a good meal fulfills you, maybe a, a job well done, maybe the, next de- maybe the next deal fulfills you, maybe, maybe a lower handicap fulfills you, maybe checking the box, uh, you know, another box and another box on your to-do list fulfills you, but, but there needs to be a place of quiet and peace. The Companion Cup is about the peace and assurance of God's presence. That when you strip everything else away, all your accomplishments, what's there? The Companion Cup is about a cup that overflows with assurance and confidence in God's presence and peace in your life. How do you fill that cup? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 11. Uh, The verses on the screen start with verse 28, but I'm going to back up just a minute and uh, I'm going to read some preceding verses first. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then skipping down to verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden or overwhelmed, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's nice to hear it. Let's take a look at what that means. First, let's pray together. Holy God, would you bless this word, not only that we may understand it, but in the course of it, that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. There are certain seasons of life where it's easier to connect with people. Certain seasons when, when, uh, when you've got runny noses and you've got things that are going splat in your life and you can't hide it, right? That you can connect with people. Or maybe it's a season when, when you're, uh, you're going through a big transition, or maybe you have an illness, or maybe, maybe you're in college, or maybe in, late in high school, and, and it's all out there. There are certain seasons where it's easier to connect with people. We all need to connect with people to be fulfilled, to have a sense uh, of peace and well-being. We all need people in our corner. We need people on our team. We need people that we can... Now, now we can't connect with everybody at, at, at an eight or a nine, right? Some people you're going to connect with at a, at a four or a five, but you need some sixes and sevens in your life, but it's good to have at least one or two nines, right? People that, that get you, they know that, that, uh, that, that you can pour out the wheat and the chaff, and they, they blow the chaff, and they keep what's worth keeping, right? What about a 10? Where's your 10? Who's in your corner that always gets you, that unconditionally receives you? Well, the companion cup obviously is about connecting with the unconditional acceptance of God, unconditional acceptance of God. Our human relationships, even the very best of them, have some fine print, (laughs) don't they? A little bit of fine print there, I mean, you, 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 you go far enough, you go long enough with any human relationship and there's some fine print, there's some IOU, there's there's, uh, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. It, it's, it's on the basis of utility at some level. So you need a square one. You need to connect with God. To have that companion cup filled, you have to connect with the unconditional acceptance of God. How do you fill that cup? Well, first, you have to, you have to recognize that who becomes, comes before do, Who comes before do. Now, I'm not saying that just to rhyme and be cute or whatever. It's just I, I'm trying to boil down a whole lot of important stuff into something that you can remember and take with you and always remember. Who, with God, comes before do. In other words, he wants you to have assurance and confidence of his unconditional acceptance for you. Not on the basis of any fine print, not on the basis of anything that you do or any earning. It doesn't mean there's no effort. As uh, Dallas Willard said, in the, uh, Dallas Willard's a, a professor of um, philosophy at USC. He's, he's since deceased, but he he uh, he said, you know, grace is what I'm talking about. Unconditional <clears throat> acceptance is grace. He said, grace is against is against earning, but not effort. So there's obviously there's effort in. In the Christian life, there's effort in your life and, and being in and working and, and on pace, on a serotonin rather than an adrenaline pace, that's a good thing. But square one, you have to have a place of peace. You have to have that eye of the hurricane. You have to have a place where, where, where you are growing in confidence of God's presence and peace. And that means it's who before do. It's who before do. Now, again, let me illustrate the opposite, all right? Let me illustrate the opposite. We tend to lapse into works-based or performance-based relating, right? We tend to lapse into it. I've told this story as an illustration of of how we lapse into performance-based relating to to one another, right? You got to get it right. I've, I've told this story at a wedding. I hope, I hope uh, that this has fresh to you. But, so uh, when, when we were to bring these triplets that we had home uh, years ago, you know, first they put them in the, in the NICU. And uh, it was kind of disappointing. I thought, golly, we've gone through all this. with Excitement and anticipation, and they're here, and now we've got to leave them here at the hospital. And after nine days, I thought, we have to take them home? <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, we are ill-equipped for this. I mean, three of them. You know, their little heads just kind of buried in the seats. They sent us home with heart and breathing monitors. Um, now, I didn't clear this story with um, two of our triplets that are here this morning, so tough luck. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, so, so one night, uh, you know, when one of these things goes off, you know, talk about adrenaline. Woo, man. One of these things goes off. So I heard sort of a muffled sound. I heard this beeping, Right. And that means somebody is not moving uh, to the extent that, that they're probably not breathing. And so I get up, and I'm walking through the, the living room. And I, I kind of got out of bed. but I was, I was alarmed, but I got out quietly. And then I got halfway through the living room, and I thought, why did I get up so quietly? Beth probably didn't even wake up. What, the, what a waste. I mean, I'm not going to get any credit for this. And, you know, get up and, and, and check in on one of these kids, I mean, that's worth like a, at least a half round of golf, right? <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, here I am. I, maybe one of these kids isn't breathing, and I'm thinking about, you know, what's in it for me, right? I shouldn't be helping, the, you know, somebody in distress out of these terrible motives, that's terrible, I thought. So I went back to bed, and I just let Beth deal with it. <laughs> Don't want to be helping anybody out of bad motives. But isn't it amazing how we can lapse, even in the midst of, I mean, your mind can just go in so many different places, and and then all of a sudden, where does it go? Where does it go? What's in it for me? On the basis of my work, on my effort, my earning, you owe me, right? And if we're not careful because we relate to one another, we, we tend to relate to one another that way, we can lapse into relating to God that way. And we can forget that it's who before do. If we're not careful, we can become religious. Now, some of you don't like it when I use the word in a negative way, but I I use it very deliberately that way because I think religion is is about works, righteousness. It's about those who want to, on their own basis, put God in their debt so that he must bless them. And what Jesus is saying in this scripture is, we all know at the bottom that that is a heavy, heavy burden. We know. We know. That that will wear you out. And so he talks about this yoke. He talks about how his... His way is easy, his burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What, what's he talking about, the yoke? What is it? Yeah, do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is, is, is a, a piece of equipment that goes on the back or the neck of an oxen. And if you've ever seen, if you've seen a yoke, then you know that there, there are two places for that yoke. That means there there are two necks. It goes on two different necks. And and what I understand um, from my extensive research on on Google is is that a weaker oxen is put with a stronger oxen. Actually, I'm kidding. I mean, there there are stories and and there are lots of testimony about how this works, that, that this is the way you train a weaker, novice oxen. What's the thing that keeps us from God's unconditional regard? What, what's the thing that keeps us from seeing that it's who before do? What's the thing that keeps us? Yeah, you say, well, maybe it's pride, right? Maybe pride that keeps me from accepting God's unconditional regard. Maybe it's pride. But maybe, maybe it's fear of our own weakness. Right? Right? To be able to say, God, I need you. See, the amazing thing is is that that Jesus is saying, I'm lowly and humble of heart. I, I will be yoked to you. I will be yoked to you? And you're thinking, really? To me, a creature? You're comparing yourself oxen to oxen? And yet, isn't that what Paul is saying? Isn't that the great encouragement that Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when he says, he says, my weakness is something that I can rejoice in. Because his strength is perfected in weakness. When I am weak, yet I am strong. How is it that he has that confidence that assurance of peace because he's got a full cup. His cup is filled again and again. That in his weakness, in his weakness, that's the very place where God wants to meet us. It's the very place because when, when we receive God and, 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 and can, can receive him recognizing our weakness, guess what? has nothing to do with do. It has everything to do with who. You see, when we in our weakness say, God will you meet me here? Will you meet me in this place? Will you meet me in that, that, that thing I've never admitted? Will you meet me in the place where I'm struggling over and over again? Can you accept me there? When you can receive God's acceptance unconditionally in the place of your weakness, That's when your confidence begins to grow, not in do, not in the next time I'll do it better, not in I'll try harder, but in who? That he looks at you and rejoices over your life. Do you believe that? Do you have confidence in it? See, if you don't have that confidence, then you're going to move out into the world and towards these, these human relationships of earning. In, in weakness, in emptiness, rather than with a full cup, it's, it's who before do. It's to have confidence in the unconditional acceptance of God. Now, on a practical level, how, how do we how, how do we have that cup refilled? how, how do we fill that cup? On a practical way, what do we do? What, what levers do we pull? What buttons do we push to, uh, to, to get that cup filled, all right? So, so what does that look like? How do we do it? How do we get it done? Well, I'm going to call it chair time. Let's call it chair time. Just that image in your head. If you want a full cup, you have to meet God in chair time. Now, this is not who before do. This is who before what. And what's the what? Well, what is your knowledge about God? We all know things about God. We all know things about ourselves. We all want to grow in knowledge about ourselves and about God. We all want to be better at the things we're doing. We all want to know more. But there's a certain kind of knowledge that we're called to that fills our cup. A certain kind of knowledge, and it's, it's a who-before-what knowledge. And we'll get there in just a minute. I'm going to answer the question, how do we, how do we get this who-before-what knowledge? Not just knowing about God, but knowing God. I want to tell you a quick story of... Of uh, the contrast. It was many, many years ago in a land far, far away. All right, you know what that means. That means you can never identify who this person is. And it, it, it was many years ago. I was a young pastor. I was just getting started, and I was spending time with a guy who was a veteran of World War II. And uh, usually, when I had the privilege of spending time with somebody who's a veteran of World War II, i go away just absolutely. Um, Filled and, and in awe and reverence of, of that generation. But this was the one exception. He was in his 90s. And he showed me all of the, the things that he had taken from the Nazis. He showed me uh, knives and he showed me guns and he showed me flags. And, and uh, he was setting me up the whole time. This was the most bitter person I've ever met in my life. He was so angry. And he had spent his life angry ever since his his days as an infantryman. And he told me in in brutal detail of the kinds of things he had to do. In concrete detail. He wanted to, he was trying to shock me, he was testing me, he was trying to, to, to check out how would I respond, how would I react to this. And I was about to leave, and we'd prayed together, and I'd spent this time with him, and I'd I'd just been giving him neutral feedback. And I was about to leave, and he knew that. And he said, you know, the thing that I've always wanted to know, young pastor, is in the middle of all that brutality, where was God? Where was God? And I thought, wow. You should be telling me. You're 95. I'm what, 29 and change. For those of you in teenagers, that's that's still young. Okay, 29 is still young. <laughs> All right. So, and I thought to myself, well, where has he been for these last 60 years? Where has he been every morning for you for the last 60 years? Where's he been? Where has he been? Where have you been? You know, to say you know somebody, uh, you know, you you say, do you know the governor of Georgia? Yeah, Nathan Deal. No, do you know him? Well, yeah, I mean, his his wife is Katie. He's got four children, three girls, a boy. Uh, It's Nathan Deal. No, do you know him? Do you know him? Like, does he know you and you know him? and, And on a personal level, and so... And so what what Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are heavily laden, and, and I will give you rest. Come to me, take my yoke upon you, and I will give rest for your souls, for I am humble in heart. I'm coming down to your level. I'm going to be knowable to you, accessible to you. There's this great tension between the imminence of God and the transcendence of God. And we have to preserve that tension. But in this passage, what he's saying is, you can know me on a personal level. You can know me on a personal level, not just about me, not just theological dimensions of, who, of what God is like, but to know, to know, to know him. A, a pastor in the 1600s, a Puritan he named Thomas Goodwin, he tells a story of, uh, of a father, uh, seeing this father greet his son, knowing that, that, that the son had been bad, young boy, three, four, He'd been, you know, taking a switch to him or whatever, and and he was receiving him back, and the father is saying to the son, picking him up, embracing him. And he heard him, he overheard him saying, I I still love you. I still love you. It's all right. I still love you. Now, is that new knowledge to the boy? Is that new information? Is that a new dimension of, of, of theological depth? Is that something... Is the knowledge that he is hearing from the Father in that moment, is that some kind of, um, uh, of, of, of sophisticated understanding? No, what it is, is it's renewing what he already knew. It's renewing what he already knew. That's why that, that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is such a favorite, right? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father... There is no shadow of turning in thee. Thou changest not your compassions. They fail not. As you have been, you forever will be. Morning, then, there's the line that I think is so wonderful, is morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand is provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Is your knowledge of God being renewed every morning? Do you have some chair time? Even if it's just five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, if you have no minutes right now, pick some time. Find some chair time. Pick where it is. Pick when it is. Make an appointment. In your bulletin, you'll see uh, what's called version. You'll see information on uh, the, the, the family that's behind Hobby Lobby is has been funding this, uh, this application called Uversion. And it is becoming an incredible tool. I would encourage you to, to download Uversion onto your, your phone or your iPad or whatever. And in, instead of starting your day by scrolling through your feed, right? Instead of doing that, set aside 10 minutes of time. And go through, just, just pick a 30-day reading plan of some kind, all right? So you download it, you go to it, and you figure out, here's, here are the reading plans. And pick one, just pick a 30-day reading plan. If you can do that for 30 days, I guarantee you, you will want to continue another 30 days and maybe even go through the whole Bible over the course of a year. So many different tools in Version. And see, what happens at this table is, is similar to what we're talking about. It is the intersection of transcendence and imminence. It is God meeting us in the concrete. Another Puritan named John Trapp said, the means of grace, right, whether you're talking about chair time and the moments you're spending in the morning, whether you're talking about reading the scriptures, whether you're talking about being in the presence of God through the sacrament, the means of grace are neither to be trusted nor neglected trusted nor neglected we don't have control over them and yet God puts them into our hands that's the mystery he says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for I am humble of heart lowering himself leaving the glory of heaven God humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross that's that's what this table is all about So it doesn't matter what you've been, what you've said, what you've thought, what you've done. If you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are invited to this table. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, and we thank you for this humble and sacred meal. We thank you, Lord, that that you're equal to our need at it as simple and concrete as it is, we can taste, touch, smell. We can see it. We can even hear it. And yet, you've promised that when we're faithful to receive, when we're faithful to draw near humbly, you have humbled yourself to the place where there's a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. So we pray that you'd set aside these common elements to their sacred purpose, that as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we might experience that magnificent exchange. In Jesus' name, amen.